Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uctana, and today we'll be talking about this life as a means to use our unique gifts and unfold our piece of divinity through living, rather than through missions, grand gestures, or world-transforming projects. Most religions, spiritual paths, and energy modalities focus primarily on universal energy. They seek to have us recognize we're something beyond this physical reality, and so direct our attention outward to the bigger picture, beyond our egos to our higher selves, to look up at what is possible and to remember who we truly are, which is a piece of divinity. With this, we can begin to remember how to utilize our will to work with the universal energies flowing through and around us in order to manifest the wisdom in all its varied and tapestried forms. However, this is only one half of the energy necessary for a soul to participate in embodied life. The physicality of life itself, personified as earth energy, the mother, goddess, or even the Sephira Malhut, provides the other half. This energy is an Akashic stream rising upwards, which fills our bodies with health and vigor, which fires us up and encourages us to engage in the act of living. It's the mystical enlivening force we can unfurl as Kundalini consciousness, the earth radiant force, which is the perfect union of universal and earth energies. It's the grounding force, which brings us out of our heads, down from the clouds, and into the suchness of our purpose. If we're not participating on a daily basis with earth energy in equal measure with universal energy, we become imbalanced. Without an equal amount of earth energy, our ability to manifest is impaired or disabled, and our bodies will signal what the issue is via dis-ease. Many spiritual practices seek to help us become more enlightened or awake by renouncing earth energies, raising our vibration moving us away from heavier energies and denying pleasure of the flesh as distractions from a higher order of living. Yet, earth energy, the upwelling of prana from Malhut, not only nourishes us, keeping us anchored here and plugged into everything around us, it also serves as the return loop for energies or the input to manifestation's output. Just as we must breathe both in and out, so we must take in energy in equal measure to what we expend. Part of the function of human beings is to help return prana, chi, or akasha to the universe, to bring it back to ein sof and so enrich the all that is. The prana, or life force, is what carries all of our experiences, our choices, our hard-earned wisdom, and all records of our existence here back to the akashics, to our higher self, to our soul books, and to the Akashic Library. This upwards energy also answers a question which is both obvious and almost never asked. How do our souls learn and become from our experiences, and how do all of these events and connections get recorded in the Akashics? If procedurals, police shows, and true crime reporting have taught us anything, third-hand reporting or eyewitness statements are unreliable in the extreme. So having some third party being reporting on us or surveilling us would not only be stalkerish and creepy, but it would prove amazingly fallible as a means of recording our actions. Instead, we report on ourselves constantly in a continuous stream of interactive information and journaling via the Earth energy moving up 
through the tree of life within us. So here we are, embodied in life. We're humans walking the path laid before us, each step an opportunity to raise the sparks, to bring the world into right relationship with the universe, each action a means to harmonize the imminent with the transcendent. Each of us is a drop of water in an endless sea, manifested into the world as product of our own spiritual process and the fulfillment of God's divine efforts. This brings us to the question everyone asks eventually, what is my purpose? If I've manifested myself here, what was I thinking and what am I here to do? Most people pose their question as if they're a ring bearer in a Tolkien story, like Frodo with his one doom, and once it's accomplished, we're free. To quote Elrond, strangers from distant lands, friends of old, you have been summoned here to answer the threat of Mordor. Middle-earth stands upon the brink of destruction. None can escape it. You will unite or you will fall. Each race is bound to this fate, this one doom. But, as we've seen so far, we are more complex and multifaceted than any mythology or tale. We are, in part, the culmination of our ancestors' actions, desires, and manifestations. In terms of Kabbalah's tree of life, Malhut is considered to be the fruit or flower of the tree, the product of all its efforts. It's the culminating event to which the entire tree's efforts and energies have bent. We are the flower of our family tree, not a branch or a continuation of the tree's growth or extension of any of its efforts, but the flower, the fruits, the separate piece which is meant to fall, to blow, to disperse out into the world and start a new iteration, to begin a new adventure. So as children are with parents, we're connected and yet separate, unique and yet related to all which has come before. How we choose to tighten or loosen those bonds is up to us. In part, our purpose is to be here for them, to write endings and completions to their stories. Another part of our purpose is simply to be here. In our natural state, in the Akasha, where we're souls without containment, without separation, we communicate empathically and telepathically. We feel directly what the other feels, receive their thoughts as our own, because of this, we live lives of pure and unconditional love and infinite care for the other. We are literally our brother's keeper because what we feel, they feel, and what they think, we know. I liken this to living in ancient Japan with rice paper walls. To show respect, to truly love someone, is to live so your actions don't infringe on their privacy. Live quiet, be gentle, and ignore what can't be avoided. As souls, we have no encasement, and yet our love creates boundaries for our actions and experiences. To indulge in rage or terror or despair is to inflict those things on all around us, so we don't. Embodied life with its individual containers, its artificial yet distinct separations, gives us the freedom to experience fully ourselves. Everything here is sharp and full color in every variety of the rainbow. It can be sensory overload, but it is our brief window into the full throttle experience and not to be wasted. We don't bring all we are into embodied life. We bring what we choose, what we need. The less we bring, the more our bodies help us forget all but this life now. The more we bring, the less our bodies can keep out of sight. The more balanced and therefore sensitive we will be. Not everyone is overwhelmed by this experience, though. 
Some are more sensitive to the world around them. Some retain or regain their knowledge of the universe beyond the physical and who we truly are. This is a function of embodiment, a balancing of universal and embodied energies. We tend to think of the world around us as separate from us, as other and out there, while we're in here. Therefore, the world becomes a chaotic and monolithic energetic system which we can tap into or seek to avoid. What we fail to notice in this us-versus-them conceptualization, this notion we're an island, is the second we're here, we are intimately integrated into the world on all levels. We are part of the Earth's energy, the pool of golden liquid light which is ever fresh and flowing, the ley lines which are the world's neural network, the waters which act as nourishment and cleansing agent. We're all generating the web of life which is and responds to all life. We become aware of synchronicities and patterns in life, not when we tune into the sacred nature of things, but when we stop tuning it out. Our primary purpose, therefore, is to be. To be here in our unique suchness. This is not to say if we all get centered and grounded, paradise will spring up around our feet, nectar will bubble up from the ground, and we can frolic to the playing of lutes and pan flutes. In our sacral chakra, or the energy center between our hip bones, the manifestation process contains not only our most intimate desires, but also our mistakes and fears and lacks. This is also where people don't necessarily want to see who they truly are, so they work to avoid the mirror held up by partners, friends, family, and situations at all costs. Our heart chakras can keep us focused on service, which becomes unbalanced into sacrifice and codependence. The survival skills we acquired in childhood can armor our third chakra, creating an identity where, like Sleeping Beauty, we live behind impenetrable barriers, hoping someone will see through them all to find our true selves. Yeah, all those energies are manifesting in embodied life as well. As the saying goes, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. While we aren't completely in control of the process, neither are we a helpless victim to it. We are a component of it. And the more we engage with it, the more we gain. Like any good relationship, the more energy we put into it, the more honesty and love, vulnerability and connection we allow, the more we set and hold good boundaries and act righteously, the more fulfilling it is, and the more Shekinah, the essence of embodied life, is present with us and within us. Now by engage, I don't mean to imply we choose embodied life over spirituality, that would foster the false dichotomy these two are actually separate or opposite. Quite the contrary. I'm pointing to the fact our spiritual practice should cause us to crave engaging more in the physical world, and our experiences there should fuel our spirituality. With the very limited time we have here, we should seek not to leave or be elsewhere, but to be here. But what does this mean specifically for each of us? Why would we come into this mess? The divine is here with us, but what does that mean? There has to be more than just being plugged into the network, right? Well, right. Each of us is a piece of divinity which comes into the world trailing clouds of glory with unique abilities and gifts and a plan. As William Wordsworth says in Ode, Intimations of Immortality, Our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life's star, hath had elsewhere its setting, and cometh from afar. Not in entire forgetfulness, and not in uttered nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come, from God, who is our home. 
The real issue for people is to have the life you desire, you have to become the person you want to be. At one time or another, all of us have gone through this moment where we think the answer is something outside. If I could just marry her, if I could just get this job, if I could just get my foot in the door, if I could just get this to stop, if I could just get beyond this one hurdle, then everything will be perfect. Of course, even when we get the thing, nothing is resolved because this one thing isn't the key to the problem, only the solution to a symptom. The issues continue and create new problems for us to resolve over and over and over again. One of the clearest examples of this is lottery winners. Pretty much everyone thinks they would love to win the lottery. Not the real lottery, but the mythical one, which is pure money poured onto us from heaven with no consequences, giving us the ability to do whatever we want and never worry again. Of course, that lottery doesn't exist, and the real one is quite a bit less fun. Yes, tons of money, but tons of taxes, entire new tax brackets, the realization that money will go away if we don't invest or use it, that we can no longer trust what anyone says or does because motivations are now suspect. Our entire life as we knew it is no longer ours and no longer exists, and we have relatives sprouting like mushrooms everywhere we look, wanting a little piece of what we've got. No one actually wants this lottery, although some are fated to receive it. Which leaves the question of what's to be done if the answer isn't in things outside us. Well, the answer is what's inside us. In this interconnected world of being full of magic and becoming, we are meant to contribute our uniqueness, our suchness, our soul's expression into the web of life. This doesn't happen through one thing, one skill, one act, one career, but through all of them, and much more. As Walt Whitman says, Oh me, oh life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself for who more foolish than I and who more faithless, of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me entwined. The question, O oh me, so sad, recurring, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What verse you write isn't preordained. It's a beautiful piece of art containing all of the wisdom of your soul mixed with all of your choices and experiences here, along with all of your learning and becoming, your mistakes and acquired wisdom, your passions and your inspiration, all fired in the reality of the moment to create each successive now. Creating your verse isn't the hard part. You're doing it while listening to this podcast. Consciously creating your verse in a way which makes your soul sing and allows you to live your best life? This takes a bit more effort. There are many, many, many ways to get there, and no method is one-size-fits-all. Our purpose is to use our gifts in ways only we can, to add our unique gifts to the web of life, help other aspects of divinity become aware of themselves, and be free to follow their paths and dive into opportunities created from the complexity of life plans, which are being updated by all of us on the fly as life unfolds. From working to heal ecological issues to ethical business practices, 
From speaking and writing with a unique perspective and voice, to making art which shows us the world and ourselves in new ways, from the healing arts to the fully lived good life, each of us has a part to play and the responsibility to decide how and how much we will play it. Embodied life is literally the ending and yet the beginning of the path. Here, like Dorothy standing in the center of a yellow brick spiral, the journey to get here is done. So now the next journey, the path forward, begins. Each of us is a flower and seed on the tree of life. Each of us is co-creating the web of life we all live in with each breath, each choice, each road rage mile, memo written, TSA check, poop scooped, and tiny face washed. So, the question and truth is not, what is my path, but am I walking my path? Move forward even though you can't see your way clear, even though you aren't ready, you aren't perfect, you make mistakes and have to adjust. The amazing truth about life is the more we engage with it, the more clearly we're able to discern who we are, where we should go, where we've taken detours, and how we get back on track. The key is to walk. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. Thank you to my patron of honor this week, Nisha Modi. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can join in patron-only classes, see all my other offerings, and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.